0: The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com.
1: Good morning, Gallery family. Happy New Year. Um, It's good to see all of you guys here today. Please follow along if you can on page 483. The scripture today is Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 6. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it out loud from daybreak until noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. Sorry. And all the people listened attent- attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaya, And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkija, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry if I butchered any of the names for people who study this. Um, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Joshua, Bani, Sherbiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Paliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. May God bless the reading of his
0: word. And I I love the names in this book because it reminds me of something. It reminds me that our names are really important. Um, If the scriptures were not complete... Um, and they were still being written, and the New Testament was adding more and more letters. It was now the first, second, and third letter of Ellis. I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but if I was writing a letter about our church, and it was being preserved for all of church history, what would we be writing about ourselves? What type of letter would we be receiving? What would be the words? Which names would make it into the chapters, right, so to speak? And because there's there's something really important about our faith, and that is that it's supposed to make a difference. There's something special about what God's doing in the world. And and whether you're a man, woman or a child or a combination of man and child like we've been wrestling with is like, what do we what do we do with our lives? How are we continuing to move forward? And I love the letter of Nehemiah, if you were with us um Last year, I actually did a a variation of this teaching during our week of prayer and revival, which I want to remind you, we have a week, uh, actually 10, almost 10 days of prayer coming up January 23rd through the 31st. We're going to meet together in the morning at noon and at night um, each day, and we're going to walk through the letter written to the Ephesus Church, the book of Ephesians. But January 23rd and 24th are going to be two special teachings out of Acts chapter 19. Because in Acts chapter 19, we see what the people were doing that actually became the church in Ephesus. And so we're going to be looking at that because here's the thing. This, and so if you miss out on prayer week, let me tell you the punchline. In three years, they changed their city. Three years. I felt so embarrassed by my vision for Baltimore when I read that. Because I've been telling everybody since my family moved into the city January 1st of 2008, that we had a 35-year plan for Baltimore. And a small group of people were gathering in a room, learning about Jesus, and within three years, they had changed the culture, the business, the way that people were looking at education and worship in an entire city. Now, mind you, their city population was smaller than ours, but I'm not going to look for reasons to feel better about my lazy vision, right? Because God can do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine, but we don't live that way. And so what better book for us to go to than the book of Nehemiah to see where not a pastor led a group of people to do something that was impossible in 50 days. It wasn't a pastor that wrote the letter of Nehemiah. It wasn't a pastor that was leading the people. By the way, it was probably the first two trips to back to Jerusalem that the religious leaders were leading people. And it wasn't until Nehemiah, who was a governor... Who woke up in his secular job and allowed the the story of what he was hearing, the um, the rumors of the story of the people that broke his heart, that moved him to fast and pray. I even put that on a slide for you because I want you to see this: is that he was hearing about what was going on somewhere else, and he didn't say, "Wow, that's so bad for them." It broke his heart. To the point where he fasted and prayed. And when you read Nehemiah chapter one, you see this beautiful prayer recorded in the chapter two of how he not only confessed his sins, but he owned the sins of past generations. And that is one of the things as a city of Baltimore that we must learn from is that we just can't go around saying it's not my problem. I didn't have anything to do with it. But somebody in our bloodline did. And we've got to grow up in our faith and be like, God has me here now, not to live in the past, but to build towards a promised kingdom that's coming. And he wants us all to be a part of that. And so this letter of Nehemiah wasn't written by a religious leader. It was written by somebody. And this is the part of why I want us today to step into this at the first of the year. There are such a small number of us, that are either in part-time or full-time ministry under the church. But all of you are going to work somewhere else this week. And I need us, I need the pastors of our churches to figure out a way of communicating to you that you are the ministers in this city. And where you go, you proclaim good news where you go, you have the power and the authority to say, this is the will of God. You have that access. Many of us will walk around thinking, man, I, if, I just wish Pastor George could go to work with me. Let me just tell you this. I get to do it and it's not that big of a deal. I'm just, um, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I'm just kidding. I have my man crush every time he walks into the office, like George is here. Um, but the My wife is like, that's true. And my mom is sitting there saying, I'm sad that George isn't here today. My mom is here. And she's like, well, I get to see George. I'm like, mom, I'm standing right here. She's like, I know, honey, but I love George. I'm like, yes, we all do. All right. But here's the thing is that we need to figure out a way for the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus to mean more than more to you than just the fact that you're going to heaven we need it to mean that somebody else is going to get to travel into something new with us. That I'm not just saved for a future, I'm saved for now. Like, i got to do something now. And that now is like building a wall in 50 days. And so when you look at the story that we just read, and you see the eagerness of their getting a chance to have those scriptures read to them, and if we read the entire chapter, you would understand that these people stood outside, 50,000 strong, for six hours while the Scriptures were read to them. Most of us were struggling, like, man, we had to stand for three songs today. And we were like, man, like, when do I get to sit down and rest? But when Ezra walked out onto the stage, which, mind you, Ezra had not been seen in much of Nehemiah's letter up to this point. You know, where were the religious leaders? Well, they were out working on their own homes and doing the work that they were doing. And and finally, Edgewood walks out and they are like, yes, bring out the book. Right. And they start because what happened was is they had a reverence for it because they knew they were God's word for them. One of the things that I love about the diversity of our church and literally over 30 different nations that make up our downtown community, let alone how many nations make up our other churches combined is that each of you has been taught different things about the scriptures or the Bible or the word of God, however you've been taught to describe it. And some of you have an incredible reverence for it that you wouldn't even set your Bible on the floor. And then others of us are like, well, let me turn it on. <laughs> right. And it's, it's putting us in the same room together because some of you are like, but it's the, it's the word of God. And others of you are like, yeah, I got the Bible. Right, And so we all have a different level. But when Ezra walked out on the stage, they stood up because they knew it was holy. They knew that it was sharing with them the thoughts of God for them. And it wasn't up to them to come up with what was right and what was wrong. It was up to God to speak and they were to listen. And so they had had the scrolls t- tucked away for so long and they were hearing them again. And not only while they were hearing it, they were like, well, it says we should do this. And so what does it does? It leads into a multi-day festival celebration where they are now saying, well, it said to do that. So we need to do this. So imagine they were in exile for generations. They finally get to come back. They build a house and a wall in 50 days and they get to live in their house for seven months. And then they read the Bible and what do they do? They live on their roofs and in their courtyards and in the city square in temporary shelters because they didn't want to forget who had given them their house. They didn't want to forget who gave them the power to rebuild their city in 50 days. And so there are a lot of empty religious practice. And a lot of times the Lord's table in many churches has become that. Let me just go and take the Lord's Supper. And it's just an active part. And that's what we want to avoid as a family. We want it to be a sacred reminder of not only what Jesus has done, but the type of life that we're supposed to live. Because what Jesus did for us, we're supposed to do for others. But yet this religious festival that they are, we're reading about here in Nehemiah, we're finding that they were so overwhelmed that their posture was to fall down, their posture was to stand up, and their humility was, I'm going to live in a temporary shelter to remember the journey that God has placed us on. And I don't want to forget the love of God for us. I wonder what it would really look like for us to really live that way this year. So there's a couple of things that I put on some slides that I want you guys to see in regards to tension and that, yes, that's one of my words. I love to use it in my teaching, but this is the deal. We're physical and spiritual beings. So there are things that some of us are new years was as I need to focus on the physical. So we join a gym, we change our eating habits, or we at least decide we're going to walk a little bit every day or whatever it is, except for this past week. Um, You know, it's. It's, and so in the Nehemiah chapter here we're looking at is they had a wall to build and a house to build, but they also had a spiritual awakening that needed to happen. It wasn't just about building a wall. It wasn't just about building a home. It was about a revival of the soul. And so this year there are things that we need to plan for physically. And some of us in here need to realize that there are people in this room that physical needs need to be met by us. Like they're working, but they need extra hands, right? And then there's a huge part of us in here that's like, well, you know what? I, all of my goals are physical, but you're drowning spiritually and we need a, a revival awakening in the soul of who we are. So when you look at a letter like Nehemiah, you're finding that there's this awakening to the fact that, you know what? Our kids don't have heat in their classrooms. Shame on us, Right? I don't mean to be whatever, but we could probably take the money that we spent on watching athletics in our city this past year. And we could have probably solved our school issue. Right. Right. We have there are some things in our lives that we have the freedom of the freedom to choose to do. But are we following God's spirit is because you know, I feel like Paul, when he was writing the church in Corinth, you know, some of the things that we you know, you had the freedom to do it. But some of the things you shouldn't do. And and so there's a tension in that, like how much of my income is just for me and my family and how much of my income then can go somewhere else. And that's part of this. And the other part of this that I love is, is that when you read Nehemiah, there's also a tension between being right with God and right with each other. If we continue reading through chapter eight, you'll see that there was a time of public confession where somebody was going up to somebody like I could go up to Fausto and look him in the face and say, brother, I harmed you. Because I don't want to just stand here and worship God like, yes, everything is great between me and God, but my brother to be looking at me and being like, well, I wonder why his hands are raised. And I, I feel that in my marriage all the time. I mean, there's so many times that I'm leaning over to my wife before I come up to teach and I'm saying, honey, I can't teach until you forgive me. And I'm just being honest with you, because there's sometimes on Sunday mornings, I don't wake up the best or sometimes on Saturday nights, I don't go to sleep the best or that I was bad all week. Not more than a week. I don't think I've ever gone that long, but uh, but there are times where I'm just like, you know what? I have to be right with her before I can come up here and tell you how to be right with God. But this is the situation is so often we come to church and we don't grow in relationship with each other because we don't want to be stewards of the relationship. If I get close to you, then I'm responsible to be hurt by you and to forgive you and to hurt you and you to forgive me. So why get close to anybody when I know we're going to hurt each other? That's what I love about Nehemiah is that they had a practice of saying being right with God is just as important as being right with each other. And so let's do the things that we need to practice that keeps us rightly focused on God. And let's do the things that keep us rightly focused on being right with each other. And those are the things that we need to be walking in. And then the other part of this that I love, and I mentioned it briefly earlier, is that Nehemiah was a governor. And this list of names on that, that, that were read so beautifully for us is that we they weren't all religious they weren't all pastors in jerusalem they were workers some of them were business owners some of them were construction leaders and governors and and like the city council people and all this kind of stuff they were people that were leading and and not just through the church and so there has to be a way for us to live in the tension between how do i live in the secular and political and how do i live out my faith we can't say, well, when I go to work, I have to do this. But when I go home, I can do this. And I've been talking with a dear friend who is in his career been really wrestling with, well, I'll just say it this way. He's an attorney. And he's like, well, how do I do my job helping people and follow my Jesus at the same time? Because he's finding himself in many times case-by-case basis of like, well, if I do what's right by my client, I might not be doing what's right by the Lord. And you go to work every day thinking that. And let's just be honest. Whether you're a doctor, nurse, uh, an Uber driver, or whatever it is, you're going to have moments where you're going to be like, am I doing this for the glory of God? But Baltimore needs us to do it for the glory of God because the city needs a 50-day awakening. The city needs to be rebuilt. There's so much here that needs to be put back together. And the problem is the church. The problem isn't the politics of our city. The problem is those of us that follow after Jesus. Because there's more than enough people in our city right now in the churches, even though it's a staggeringly low number of people in our city that go to church on a regular basis. There's still enough of us pursuing God that we can rebuild a city. We can do it. We just need to go to work in the power of the Holy Spirit, and He's going to do far more than you and I ever could imagine. We need to do those things. And so here's the way I just want to kind of wrap this up a couple of thoughts for you. What do you think about the Bible? What do you think about the Word of God? And I want to apologize to a lot of you, because there have been a lot of people who have used it poorly, have used it for harm, have spoken out of it with much immaturity and evil intent. And we, as pastors and elders of our churches, in in, in our gallery family, are wanting to steward the word of God in a trustworthy, reliable, truthful, holy way so that we can help you heal for how you've been wounded with the Bible. But wounding with the Bible is different than you not liking what it says. I want I, we need to understand that many times we think we see but we don't see. And we might want it to be true for all it's worth. We just want it to be true. And we turn the pages trying to find the verse that we think is in there. And then we realize that it's not in there. And then we're like, well, I still want it to be true. When at the end of the day, despite the pain it might cause us, the confusion it might cause us, the rejection we might feel, at the end of the day, God has to be right. Because He's the only one that is pure and just, and all-knowing, and everywhere. We're not that. His thoughts are way above our thoughts, and His ways are way above our ways. And if you have an approach to the Scriptures that's like, well... then you we're going to struggle in 2018. There are things that we need to be wise with, and we need to walk into... And God will light a lamp to our feet so that we know where to go. And we can go trusting that he's heading us in the right direction. But we just have to make sure that we're not fighting him over the desires of our heart and asking him to make something that's sinful right. Because we need to understand that the more that we continue to walk in our sin, the more we're hurting other people and making their life more miserable. My sins don't just affect me. My sins affect you. My sins affect my wife, my children. But let me just tell you this. The joy of the Lord also affects other people. And when you look at this passage of Scripture they were so overcome with their worship of God that they were so joyous that Nehemiah told them to stop weeping and to have savory foods and to drink good drinks and to throw a party. And here's the thing. We as a church have got to learn to live out of the joy of what is true. It might not feel true, but it's true nonetheless. Right? there is hope, there is love, there is peace that this world cannot touch, and it's in Jesus Christ. And that is true whether we're fighting an illness, or we're fighting um, joblessness, or we're fighting pressure in our homes. Those are all things that are going to come our way. But at the end of the day, what is true is, is that God loves me. God loves you. He thinks of us as holy because of the sacrifice of His Son. And we need to walk in the truth of that. So the Word of God is essential for us. We will see God face-to-face someday, and the Bible gives us a glimpse of who God is. We also want to be a place where the Word of God is taught, not just having complicated passages of Scriptures with big names read to you, but according to John, his letter talking about the Spirit, and many other places in the New Testament, the Spirit can bring words of God's truth through His church to each other. Uh, That's why we need to think about our words. Like my, you know, they always tell you, you know, think before you speak. It really is a good practice, by the way. And I I, let me go one step farther. Think before you post to Facebook too, right? Um, um, So, so we need to, in some ways, begin to figure out what it looks like for us to spend time in the Scriptures every week. Um, We don't just need them read. We don't need to just teach them with intentionality and dignity, but you have to develop a desire to open up your Bible and read it. And if you're struggling, there are so many great tools to help you um, that we would love to continue to push you towards. Um, All right, so let's let's talk about what we need to walk out of here with today. Um, Here's a few takeaway points. I put them on a slide for us. So where do we go from here? Number one, we need to allow Jesus through the Holy Spirit to center us on God's Word. Um, if there's a way that we're going to walk in His power this year, is at, we all have to get to the point where we're willing to mention Jesus at our dinner tables and in our living rooms and with our co-workers and all of that. But everything that we have has got to center on Jesus. If the Bible isn't making sense to you, it's probably because we've lost sight of where Jesus is in it. And so if you ever get into a passage of scripture where you're confused, turn back to Jesus, read about him, and then go back to that passage, and it'll help you make sense of it. If not, let's email, let's talk, let's go to our growth community leaders, let's talk through it, because when we center ourselves on Christ, the illumination of God's word becomes even more amazing for us to walk in. The second thing that I love for us to pick out of this Nehemiah passage is we need to be people that celebrate. We've got to become a people that celebrate. We are in too many churches nowadays where people look like they're having the worst hour of their week. And let me just tell you this. I'm the only one that gets to look at your faces for like 30 minutes a Sunday. And some of you look like I'm performing some kind of hernia surgery on you. Um, and some of you, that's just your learning face. Um, but... Really, the honest truth of it is, is that we're in so much pain and under so much pressure in life that we're obviously not doing a good enough job of pointing you to the reasons to have joy. And so it's not necessarily that we need a light of fire under you. We need to continue to show you what joy looks like, because at some level, we need to figure out that the fact joy is right here and I just have to pick it up. That's what the scriptures say about joy choosing it. You know what? Let me go through. Let's see. What do I want today? Anger, rage, selfishness, joy. I'll take that. Right? That's, 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 the, that's the physical way of looking at it. You go through your closet like, well, you know what? I should have thrown that away a long time ago, but that's anger still in here. Uh, do I want to get rid of it? Yes. Right? Let me come over here. I'm going to put compassion on today. I'm going to put the fruits of God's spirit rack on. today. I'm going to choose to do that. Joy is what we need to do. We need to learn. I would love for people to be like, what's going on in that church, but for them not have to look through the window. They need to see us on the streets celebrating. We've got some ideas for that. And we're going to talk about it another day. Number three, the last thing we need to tell our story. They were in temporary shelters in Nehemiah eight to tell their story of going out of slavery into freedom. That's why they were living in temporary shelters, how God redeemed them, brought them through. They could tell, well, you know what? We spent a lot longer in the wilderness because of our doubts and our sins. And then we walked into a promised land. There was so much about their story that they could tell just by popping a tent, putting a shelter together. And it was a way for them to relive what was going on. We have to figure out a way for the story of Jesus in our life to be something that the people in our lives can see and engage us on. We can't just know that Jesus died, rose, and forgave us of our sins and is coming back someday. The people that are around us need to know that too. And so somehow the physical part of our life and the spiritual part of our life have got to come together to share a clear message to people of hope and joy and peace and forgiveness for them as well. And so this year, not only are we going to try to figure out the physical part, we're not only going to try to figure out the spiritual part, but we have to figure out a way of talking about it. And so some of you need help. So what would it look like for us to live on the roofs of our homes or in the courtyards? Well, I'm not really excited about living in the courtyard behind me because there are little critters in Baltimore that I'm not really excited about. But yet there are places that we need to begin to live publicly so that people can know how God has blessed us and how he has been walking with us. And so today, as we walk into this new year together as a church family and our brothers and sisters from Suibo, thank you for being here. What do you believe about God? Who is he? What can he do? What are his capacities? What is his capacity to love? If we can meditate on what is true about God, I promise you, Baltimore will not have a heating issue. Baltimore won't have a hunger issue. Baltimore will not have a violence issue. Because God's light pushes back darkness everywhere it meets it. And so let's carry that light out with us today. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in a word of prayer. If you need prayer or you'd like to give your life to Christ, there will be some people around the stage with some lanyards that say here to pray. Some of our elders will be here as well where you can be prayed over. If you would like to place your trust in Jesus today, please don't leave without talking to us about that or the person that brought you. The rest of you, you might be going through something where you're sick and you just want somebody to pray over you. Please don't leave without us doing that. Others of you might have a reason for joy and you need to tell the people around you, let me tell you how God's been good to me this week. We need to share those stories with one another. But here's our benediction. As we go from here today, may we continue to trust God's word. May we continue to let it be a lamp to our feet. May we continue to choose joy every day, no matter what circumstances we're facing. And may we tell the story of Jesus everywhere the Spirit prompts us this week. And may God's grace and peace be with you.